Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles, and speaking of mothers, come to the great, one of the great texts and passages about mothers in the whole Bible, and that's Exodus chapter 2. Once again, happy Mother's Day to everyone, and a special welcome to those of you that are with us in our Spanish Trail campus today and tuning in together with us. We love you, and a happy Mother's Day to every single one of you moms and grandmoms who are at our Spanish Trail campus, as well as those of you that are watching with us online in all kinds of different places here and around the world this morning. We're surely thankful to have everybody in the house of the Lord exposed to the Word of God this morning. And we're going to look at one of the great passages of Scripture in the Bible on the subject of the courageous parent. I suppose that once uh, you become a parent, you never really stop being a parent. And that was made apparent to me, pardon the pun, several years ago. When I was traveling from where I was living at the time in Branson, Missouri, to Nashville, Tennessee, <clears throat> to take part in a discipleship conference that I was going to be leading there in a particular church. This was back in the days really before cell phones became popular. How did we ever travel without a cell phone in our pocket? But I did, and I remember uh, the weather was really bad in Springfield, Missouri, where I was departing. And we got delayed, and I knew that was going to present a problem when I got to Memphis and had to make a connecting flight from Memphis to Nashville. And sure enough, when I got to Memphis, uh, my flight had already left, and so I was going to have to wrangle around and spent the next few minutes doing that, trying to find uh, whether or not I was going to get on the next available flight from Memphis uh, to Nashville. And I, in all of that hurry and scurry to get from one place to the other, I neglected to ever call home to let my mother know where I was going to be staying. That's where our family lives in Nashville. So I wasn't going to be staying at a hotel. I was just going to stay with Mama. Amen. But I never called to tell her that I was going to be two or three hours behind. Uh, and so when I finally got to Nashville, not thinking a thing about it, I went down the escalator to the rental car counter where I had reserved a car. I'd sent my mother the itinerary <clears throat> in advance. And as I'm Waiting in line, I finally get up to the counter, and I tell the young man at the counter my name. I said, I'm James Locke, and I have a car reserved for the next several days. And he looked up at me with eyes wide open, and he said, oh, Mr. Locke, you need to call home immediately. Your mother has been calling for hours, <laughs> and she's very worried about you. Now, the funny thing about that, we laugh at that. The funny thing about that is I was 40 years old when that happened. <laughs> that was 15 years ago this year. And so, listen, it's a dangerous thing raising kids in the world, and the dangers never stop, do they? And you never stop being a parent, and you surely never stop being a mother. That's a reminder of the incredible burden of responsibility that is laid on the shoulders of parents. And certainly it's not my role or <clears throat> my intention to cause young people anxiety when it comes to bearing children, to raising children. But I will say that it uh, is my firm opinion that parenting may be the most important responsibility on this planet that we live on called Earth. I can't think of a more significant, a more important responsibility than parenting children, and especially in these days, there are just huge implications regarding the future of your family, the future of your life, the future of your child's life, 
the future of our communities, the future of our state, the future of our nation, the future of the world. It all rests on what we began in terms of instilling values and moral principles in the life of our children at home. And I don't have to tell anybody today, we're living in a world where there are certain uh, ethical uh, dilemmas that we face every day, and uh, there are uh, opportunities to be involved in things that are unhealthy and even immoral now more than ever before. And uh, we cannot put our parent responsibilities on cruise control. You can't take a hands-off, case sarah, sarah, what will be will be approach to raising your children. Parenting should be the most intentional part of your life. And to get to that point this morning and to justify it from Scripture, we come to Exodus chapter 2, and we surely have a wonderful picture of what the courageous parent is supposed to look like. Let's read the text beginning in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 2. The Bible says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took him for a, uh, she uh, took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water, which is what the word Moses means. It means to draw out. Now, of course, this is a very familiar passage. Many of you may have come to a greater knowledge of this passage from watching Charlton Heston on the Ten Commandments than from reading this passage of Scripture, and so we're going to demythologize it for a few minutes this morning. But of course, the background for this passage has to do with the exploding population of the Hebrew children living as expatriates in the land of Egypt. There was a famine, of course, that originally drove them there. And Joseph, who was a Hebrew, had ascended to the prime ministership of Egypt. His father and his brothers soon followed him there looking for a way to escape the famine. And that's how you see the beginning of this burgeoning population of the Hebrew children in the land of Egypt. The Bible teaches us that they were multiplying so rapidly 
that the new Pharaoh that came along down the road was concerned about all of these Hebrews living in the land of the Egyptians. He thought this to be, was soon becoming a matter of national security, and so he determines he's got to do something to thin the population. First thing he does, of course, is he enslaves them. And all of us are familiar about the Egyptian bondage of the Hebrew children, and uh, they served in captivity and slavery and bondage for over 400 years. But they just continued to multiply. That didn't stop the multiplication. And so Pharaoh goes to plan B. When that doesn't work, he then tries to coerce the Hebrew midwives to kill all the Hebrew male babies while they're being delivered. That's infanticide. And of course, none of the Hebrew midwives would have anything to do with that. They chose to obey God rather than obey the leadership of man. And uh, so Pharaoh unleashes a third strategy designed to deal with these rapidly growing groups of immigrants, and that is overt genocide. He just determines that he's going to kill all of the Hebrew baby boys. That's in the last verse of Exodus chapter 1. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And it's with that decree and in that kind of an environment that we're introduced now to an unnamed but very important couple at the beginning of chapter 2. This unnamed couple, they'll come to be named later on, but this unnamed couple conceives, and guess what? They bear a son. And they bear a son in a very hostile environment. You think it's hard raising kids in the United States. Imagine raising a child the moment that boy is born. He's born under an immediate death sentence. If he's found out, he's going to be snatched out of that home and immediately drowned into the Nile. Now, this is a great passage, I think, to preach on Mother's Day. Amen. Because it presents a model for courageous parenting in a dangerous world, especially from the standpoint of being a mother, because it's the mother of Moses who's given front and center attention here in the second chapter of the book of Exodus. What are we to learn this morning about courageous parenting from the mother of Moses? Well, for one, we learn that the courageous parent is faithful in times of trial. They're persistent. They never give up. They look for ways of escape. They're creative. Uh, they don't back down. They don't cave in to fear. They are faithful in times of trial. And let me say to all the parents here today, don't be Pollyannish in the house of God. If you're alive and breathing, you're going to be faced with some very difficult moments in your marriage and in your life together as a family. The Bible says we will face persecution. We will face difficulty. Our faith will be tested early and often in our walk with the Lord. What's very important is how you respond to it. Now, at this stage, we don't know much about these anonymous parents. In Exodus chapter 6, they're named for the first time. Their names are Amram and Jochebed. And if there are any husbands or wives here today named Amred or Jochebed, we'll give you a free Bible from our bookstore this morning. Very uncommon names. But that's who they were, and all we know about them is that they're descended from the tribe of Levi. Now, that's an important thing to identify because that's going to be significantly important for Moses because that's the priestly line of the nation of Israel. Moses was born a Levite. 
which immediately qualifies him for leadership among the people of God. He's going to function as a priestly leader, a go-between between the nation and God himself as he leads them in the future out of a life of Egyptian bondage toward the promised land. So we know that this is a family of Levites. We also know that Moses was not the first child born to this couple. He had an older sister, probably about 12 years older than he was, whose name was Miriam. And he had an older brother as well, three years older. And his older brother's name was Aaron. But Moses was the one born during this incredible period of upheaval. So he was the one who had the death sentence hanging over his head. The thing was, though, that <laughs> Moses' mother didn't have any intention of surrendering that baby not to any magistrate, not to any police officer, not to any government official. She had absolutely no desire nor any intention to turn that boy that was hers by the will of God over to anybody. Notice verse number two. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when he saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, the first thing you notice about that mother, she's a typical mother. She looked at that baby and declared him to be a fine young man, right? She was from the south of Israel, obviously. What a fine boy. What a fine young man this is. And that's what every mother should think about their child. I've never met a mother who looked at a child and said, did not say, this is a fine specimen. This is a fine daughter. This is a fine son. So she's very proud of this baby boy that God has given to her. But I think she saw something in that boy more than physical beauty. Maybe that was mother's intuition. I think she had a hunch that this was a fine child, not because he looked handsome, but because God had his hand on him, because God was going to use that child in a very special way. You say, well, how did she know that? I don't know how she knows it. My wife knows all kinds of things. I don't know how she knows it. She's got this sixth sense like most of you women do because women come into this world with a, you know, guys just have a tunnel vision effect. Women have a radar dish. It's just going around all the time. They know what's going on in front of them, beside them, behind them, 2 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 6 o'clock, everything's happening. I can go home at night and tell Judy, man, let me tell you something about I heard about so-and-so today. Oh, yeah, let me tell you. And then she'll go off into a long narrative telling me things that I didn't even know about it. So maybe Moses' mother had some kind of an intuition. Maybe she'd received something spiritually directed from the Lord, like Hannah did, the mother of Samuel, where the Lord came and spoke a word to her in an unmistakable kind of way. Whatever it was, in this deadly and dangerous environment, she'd made the courageous decision to risk everything about her baby's life, her life, her husband's life, her children's life in order to hide and save this baby. And you know how she was able to do that? One thing comes into the mix that enables a mother to risk in that kind of way life and limb. You know what it is? Faith in God. She trusted God, oh, this is good, she trusted God more than she feared humanity. And whenever your fear of people outweighs your trust in God, you'll live a craven, cowardly, uncertain, insecure life most of the time. But can I say, when you see 
a vision of Christ alive at the right hand of God in absolute control, reigning from a throne, promising to meet every need of your life, promising never to leave you nor forsake you. I'm telling you, you won't be afraid of anything this side of heaven. And neither was the mother of Moses. She had a tremendous faith. In fact, her faith was so noteworthy, it got her a mention in the most important chapter of faith that you find in the Bible. It's Hebrews chapter 11. Most of the time, that's just reserved for the guys. But you don't find just guys there. You find more than one woman mentioned there. And it's interesting that the mother of Moses makes it. Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Would you say that out loud together with me? They were not afraid of the king's edict. That's just a very important statement. I mean, these parents were like the two Hebrew midwives that got dragged in front of Pharaoh when they disobeyed the Pharaoh's order. I mean, what those Hebrew midwives were basically commanded to do by the Egyptian leader was partial birth abortion. That's what it was. The baby's going to come out head first. When the, baby, when the baby's head gets out, break the baby's neck. That's how they were to kill those babies. And then hold the baby up and say, oh, we don't know what happened. That's basically what they were commanded to do. And they said, we will not do it because that is not God. And these parents had that same kind of fearlessness. God protected those two Hebrew midwives and that they didn't die. They should have died. Pharaoh could have had them executed immediately for disobeying his order, as was the case with these parents. But they trusted God more than they feared man. And they were going to do what was right, even if it meant rejection, hostility, even death. I mean, think about it. They were trying to hide a baby for the first three months of the baby's life. How are you going to pull that off? They lived in a ghetto, little shack. I mean, the walls were not insulated. They lived out in a little lean-to, basically, is what we would call it. <clears throat> and I don't know. I told Judy one time years ago when I was reading this passage, I don't know how they did it, because God gave us two kids, and they were both criers. Both of them were criers. If you want to get my dander up, just come up to me, you young mamas, and say, well, you know what? They've been sleeping through the night since they were born. <laughs> just shut up already, all right? I don't, I don't want to hear that mess. We didn't sleep for like 12 years, I don't think. <laughs> and so if, if the Lord knows, Jim and Judy would not have survived. We'd have been shackled and chained in front of Pharaoh. They heard that baby crying all through the night. But somehow, he was never found out. Man, I'm telling you, I'm happy. I think it's a good cause to rejoice the fact that we're here today, Pensacola, Florida, USA, American flags waving everywhere, that we get to raise our children in the land of liberty and freedom. Amen. Almost ideal conditions. I mean, it's hard, but we're free. And we don't have death sentences hanging over our kids. You may never have to go through this kind of terror, this Egyptian nightmare. But I'm still saying, even in that and with that, it takes courage to raise a child, and it doesn't matter where you live. You better be courageous 
because it takes faith to raise a child in the ways of God when the world doesn't live according to the ways of God. Everybody with me? And that's why you have to commend them to God because, listen, there are some things as a parent that you can do to raise them well, but then there are some things only God can do. And that's why from the moment that your child is conceived, you better be wise enough to demonstrate great faith in God to do for them what you're limited and unable to do for them in your finiteness. I've told you all before, we prayed for our kids when they were still in the womb. We prayed over them. <clears throat> we prayed with them. We prayed <clears throat> in the bed with them when we put them down at night. Man, I prayed for everything. We'd pray to begin the day when they went off to school. We'd pray together as a family. We'd pray for their chil our children's minds. We'd pray for their bodies. We'd pray for their friends. We prayed for the decisions that they would make. In every part of the day, we prayed for their future. And my children are both adults now and far from perfect. They're like their dad. They're far from perfect. But we have managed somehow to see two young people grow to become contributing, mature, uh, noteworthy individuals because I believe from day one and even prior, their mother and I intentionally made a decision to commend our children to the care of God. Has very little to do with me. It has everything to do with what we ask God to do for us in terms of making up the difference for all the shortcomings that we would demonstrate with our parenthood. And you know, they're adults now. Let me let you in on a little secret. I think I pray more fervently for my children now than I ever did when they were small. I don't know why that is, but I find myself spending more time praying for them and for their decisions as adults than I did even when they were little. Mark this down. Courage is predicated on faith. You don't try to work it up yourself. It's not a courage in yourself. It's a courage in who God is and what God alone can do. So the courageous parent is faithful in trial, but also, and secondly, the courageous parent plans for the unexpected. Plans for the unexpected. Notice verse 3. When she could hide him no longer... She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance. Moses' sister stood at a distance to know what would <clears throat> be done to him. Another thing that parenting cannot be is passive. You, you have to engage, parents. You have to be active. You can't parent in the passive voice. Successful parenting means active engagement. I said a moment ago, there is no cruise control. You, listen, it's a dangerous thing to try to set your home on cruise control. You've got to be active and engaged and involved literally from, the time, from every moment that your child is awake with their eyes open. This mother was like that. She had faith, but here's the thing. She also had a plan. She had a plan for what she was going to do with that boy. And there is no contradiction between faith on the one hand and effective planning this side of heaven on the other. That's just godly wisdom. Proverbs 21 and 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Do you notice what this mother did? 
When she has come to the conclusion, all right, this three-month plan of trying to keep this baby under wraps with nobody knowing we've even had a baby, we're done with that. We're not going to be able to do that because this child's about to become a toddler, and I'm not going to put him on a leash. And so with that in mind, she goes to plan B, and the Bible says she makes a basket out of papyrus that's absolutely seaworthy, only a mother. This was not the kind of basket that you're going to buy at a flea market either. So forget about those pretty little picnic baskets that you've got up on top of the shelf. That's not what we're talking about. Did you know that the word for basket here is the same word that's used of Noah in the book of Genesis? Ark. Ark. It's the same word. She built him an ark. Now, it was only about that big compared to Noah's ark. But here's this little seaworthy, waterproof ark of a basket designed to float partially enclosed to protect the child from insects and, and the elements and anything else. The, the word is very specific. And I think it's critically important to see a connection here between Moses and Noah because both of those guys are saviors, aren't they? They're deliverers. They both are types of Jesus Christ. The Savior that Jesus was to become is foreshadowed in both the lives of Noah, the Savior of humanity, and Moses, and God in his sovereign wisdom chose to deliver both of those deliverers by means of an ark through water. Man, it's unbelievably coincidental, but really not coincidental. And it happened because this woman of faith was engaging her mind. And she was acting on the best interest of her child. Now, every mother in here can put herself in that person's plate. Don't you think that that was the hardest thing that woman ever had to do? But she had to do it. Otherwise, she risked the death of the child. But she's thinking creatively here. And even though it was the hardest thing she ever did, I think she was probably acting on a hunch. Because most of, again, most of us get our understanding of this story from the movie. And so we think that here's this nice little basket. The mother hastily puts the child in the basket, pushes the basket out to sea, and then guess what? There's all the swirling currents, and the next thing you know, the Nile turns into class four rapids like the Okoe River, and the baby's inside going, woo! That's not the way it was. It wasn't launched into the water. That ark of a basket was placed into the water, placed into the reeds where it intentionally wouldn't float away. That's what the Scripture says here. Placed among the reeds by the riverbank. Now, why did they do that? Well, his 12-year-old sister was a spy. And so that ark was put where Miriam could kind of trollop up and down by the riverbank, keep an eye on it, make sure everything was all right. Baby could be observed, watched, even tended to when there were no authorities nearby or under the shade of darkness. So Miriam's part of the plan herself, not just to observe. She wants to know what does happen to it. So she's gathering facts so that they might know how next to respond. The point is, to be a courageous parent means you have to know how to plan. And let me tell you, are you mama still with me? Amen. 
parents, you better have a plan. You better have a plan. Well, I'm just going to let go and let God. God bless you. Come back in about 15 years. Tell me how that's worked out for you. No, you do trust God. But faith without works is what? Is dead. And so you better have a plan. You better have a plan for family time. Or it's probably not going to happen. You better have a time to instill the word of God in your child. An intentional plan. How am I going to spiritually develop this child to become a man or a woman after God's own heart? You better have a plan for discipline. Or your discipline will be willy-nilly if it exists at all. Your discipline will be a response to your own anger. You'll discipline your child to make yourself feel better because you're mad at the child. No, you better have a plan for when this happens, how am I going to discipline my children? You better have a plan for how you're going to educate your children. Do you have a financial plan? Do you have a technology plan? I mean, I, I, I just never have to encourage parents to have a technology plan. You better have a technology plan. I've known little kids just handed a smartphone by their parent, just wide open. Let me tell you, you hand your child a smartphone with no restrictions, no thought whatsoever, you might as well roll up a bunch of adult magazines and stick it in their pocket and look at them and say, now just don't look at those throughout the day. That's what you're doing when you hand a child a cell phone that's just wide open without a plan for how to do it. Do you have a technology plan? in the life of your family? Do you have a dating plan? You say, well, I'm just going to let my children, they just need to let those friendships form naturally. Are you kidding me? Again, have at that for about 15 years and let me know how that's worked for you. No, you better help them choose their friends and you better help them know how to date and you better put parameters around that dating relationship. Do you have a plan? Maybe the most memorized verse on parenting in the Bible is Proverbs 22, 6. Most of you know it. Train up a child. Train, train. It's active, not passive. Train, train a child. Discipline is the concept. Discipline a child in the way he should go. Not the way you necessarily think he should go, but the way he should go. And how should he go? How about this book right here? Amen. That's why, parents, you better have also a plan for educating yourself in the Word of God. Do you know God's will for your child? It's right here in this book, much of it. Train a child, you parent, train a child in the way he should go so that even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'll say it again, no cruise control option when it comes to parenting. If you're going to do it well, you better have a plan. But having said that, even the best intentioned parents still come to a time where as parents steeped in the word of God and as parents who've developed a plan by the leadership of the spirit of God, you still come to a point where you've got to release those children to the plan and purpose of God. Ultimately, it's his plan for their life that matters. And that's part of training a child in the way they should go. Because to some degree, the way they should go, you may not even know fully what that is yet. The Bible says, the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's God talking about your children, too. 
I know the plans I have for them, declares the Lord, plans not to harm them but to prosper them, plans to give them a future and a hope. And so you do your best under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, plan wisely, walk in shepherd and parent with faith, but then there comes a time where you have to release them to God. And that's the third thing. The courageous parent trusts God's purpose. You trust God's purpose for your child. One of the things that's obvious in this passage is that once again, it shows how God is always at work, even when we're not aware of it. My son's going out to Missouri to work at a Christian camp for a couple of months, and Judy and I went up to spend a couple of days with him. His birthday is on Monday, and so we're not going to see him for a couple of months, and we wanted to be there, celebrate his birthday, and just hang out with him a few minutes. And we got to talking for a few minutes about his future. He's a junior, finishing up his junior year in college. Still not sure fully the direction of his life. And that's okay. You know, as a dad, I want it nailed down. Get it nailed down. Let's have a plan. Let's get it all on paper. Let's have it all worked out in advance. It is not. And I came away. Now, I'm preparing this message while I'm having this conversation with my own son realizing that where he is right now, I mean, I can help him to some degree, but I can't tell him what God wants him to do with his life. And that's a very uncomfortable position for a parent to be, who always, you know, the thing about preachers, you know, when you come to them with an issue, they've always got three responses real quick, and they all start with the same letter. Here's what you need to do. A, B, C, bang, done. That's what I want to say to him. Man, I'm tell you, I'll tell you what you need to do. I'll tell you how you need to respond. Let me tell you what. Let me make a phone call. Because I can make lots of phone calls. I can have this nailed down before you hit the pillow tonight. I can't do that. For I know the plans I have for There's time you have to engage in the uncomfortable decision of commending them fully to God. Understanding that God's always at work. Man, and that's what Moses, his mother, had to do with him. Can you imagine putting that child in the bulrushes in a basket? I'd imagine she's on her knees three and four times a day praying for that child. But God was at work. God was at work all over this picture when you think about it. He's at work in the parents of Moses, no doubt. But he's also at work in the life of Pharaoh's daughter. And what's interesting about the daughter of Pharaoh, God's using Pharaoh's daughter, and she's a pagan. She didn't follow the Lord. And yet God's working through her. Verse 5, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down uh, to bathe at the river while her young women, her attendants, walked beside her. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women, and she took it. Now, this is God working through somebody who didn't even acknowledge the presence of God. God sent her to just the right place to bathe at just the right time, in effect, to deliver the deliverer. I mean, this is God and his plan of salvation, God doing his thing, making a way where there seemed to be no way. God was working through the daughter of Pharaoh. God's also working through the daughter of Moses' mother, through Moses' sister. Verse 7, 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, now remember, Miriam is just kind of lurking around, watching, and she sees this Egyptian high princess come and discover the basket of an ark, and immediately when they determine there's a baby inside, notice what happens. Moses' sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, it's almost like they're there in these tall reeds, and out of nowhere, the reeds part, hey, how's it going? What you find there? Oh, a baby. Hey, you know what? I bet, I bet you need somebody to nurse that baby. And I know just the woman. Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed. I mean, what a great twist. You can't make that up in a novel. I mean, Mary's watching that basket with an evil eye. She doesn't know what's going to happen. And when she sees that Pharaoh's daughter has a mother's instinct about her, she reacts with tenderness, and she jumps out and recommends the perfect wet nurse, the very mother of the child himself. And then she says, well, go and get her, and I'll pay her wages. Moms, how would you like to have a deal like that to nurse your own child and get the government to pay for it at the same time? Greatest deal in the history of the world. And for the next three years... These importantly informative years of that child's life, the man who would become the Savior of Israel was nurtured and trained in the traditions of his Hebrew fathers by his own mama. Now, there'd be a time where that arrangement would cease but if, if you're going to, it's like Fran, the great Jesuit Francis Xavier said, give me a boy until he's seven years old, and after that, anybody can have him. The most important time is the earliest time. You can't wait until a child is teenager to begin to feed them spiritual truth. You can, and God can change them. But you won't be nearly as effective. You need to start when they're babies. You read scripture over them and they're in the crib sleeping. You can't start early enough. And amazingly, God orchestrates events where that very thing can happen. And it would be so important because remember, Moses is going to become the leader of the nation. Now, he's going to be taken away from his mother. He'll have the finest secular education. He'll be raised in the household of the court. He'll have the best of everything. He'll live in the nicest homes, vacation in the nicest properties, see the wonders of the world. He'll have all of this richness at his disposal. But the most important part of his upbringing was the early part. That would prove to be the greatest blessing, not only for his family, but for his people and for literally the whole world. Can I just say this morning, there are no accidents with God. I mean, God's always at work, and that's why the courageous parent learns to plan well for the future. Yes, you better plan, but even beyond that, you always trust that God has a purpose, and you understand that God is always at work 
God is always at work in your family. God is always at work in your children. God is always at work in your life. And the sure knowledge of the presence and the faithfulness of God in your life will more than make up the difference as you face the dilemmas that are often in front of parents day in and day out who are seeking to do the right thing in the right way in the right time as they raise their children and their families in a very dangerous world. So never give up, never lose heart, never quit. God is alive and he's always involved. This is God's word.